Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Manapro Homestead. Animals are an important part of our lives. That's why we help them grow and thrive, treating them as well as they treat us to make their lives as best as they can be. Manapro, nurturing life. Visit manapro.com and follow us at Manapro Homestead. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. It is Mandy. I am here with, of course, Angela. We hope you are doing so good today. Uh, today, we are going to discuss introducing birds to your homestead, but not on the surface level that you might think when you hear that. We will discuss everything from chickens all the way down to quail, kind of touch on the differences that they require in their housing and their spacing, their bedding, um, touch a little bit on health. Because when we got into this homestead life, this lifestyle, um, I think that the main two, you know, poultry species uh, or, or you, you know, that, that people house and raise chickens and ducks. But I think it's becoming, you know, widely popular to have quail, to have geese, uh, to have a mixed flock. So it's not just ducks and, and chickens, which is what we see most commonly. Hi, Mandy. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we are absolutely going to get into the nitty gritty today. I think chickens is sort of the default. You know, ducks are becoming more popular. People think of fresh eggs. You know, we, we garden, we start getting the instant gratification or the pride that comes with growing our own food. And they're like, what else can I do? And then people think eggs or meat. Um, and then obviously these smaller animals, birds are a good gateway. They're, they're, they're sort of the gateway into the farm lifestyle, if you will, from gardening. Um, but here's the thing. You don't have to resign yourself to chickens. Like Mandy said, there's so many other options, but there's a lot of other functions, these choices, these birds can perform for you. Um, and we're going to, we're going to cover those, but your flock, they can work for you. They can provide you with a lot more than just eggs. So our plan today is to discuss chickens, ducks, turkeys, quail, guinea fowl, and geese. I know there are other options out there. Um, some people keep pheasants, they keep peacocks, um, emus are starting to gain traction, which is like insane and so cool. Those eggs are absolutely massive. Uh, partridges are another one, but for all intents and purposes for this episode, we're going to go through those more common, more accessible species. So I think just because it's the most approachable for most people and the most familiar let's start with chickens yes okay now you don't have chickens <laughs> no. you don't really care for chickens uh, no. for anybody listening who doesn't follow Angela or know Angela Angela is a little bit uh leery I would go as far as saying like creeped out by chickens totally. absolutely um, and funny story I used to be there too um I gosh did not hold a chicken. I would duck when they would fly at my face, like visiting other folks' farms or even in school when we did poultry, a semester on poultry. Uh, that is when I got over my fear of birds. I mean, like when you would go to any type of like an a aviary or something, I would not go in there. Um, they are just very unpredictable animals. And I am here to tell you, you definitely get over that. Um, if you just, you know, kind of submerge yourself in the lifestyle. But uh, we do have chickens here mm -hmm. quite a bit. Uh, we actually have a mixed flock. And we'll kind of discuss all of that a little bit later. Maybe touch on raising mixed flocks. But um, the main purpose of our chickens uh, are, are eggs. Um, but like you said, make the birds, make your animals. I always say make the farm work for you. So um, they also provide us with fertilizer for the garden. They, you know, bug control, um, definitely some entertainment uh, to say the least. 
I know some folks will also do dual purpose chickens for meat and eggs um, or just meat chickens. Um, So like you said, there's, there's so many different options. It's not, it's not just eggs. And that's what everybody really thinks about when they think about raising specifically chickens um, is those fresh eggs that we get. Because when you have had a farm fresh egg, you will never eat a store-bought egg again. Truth. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks are attracted to the idea of the Easter eggers, the rainbow eggs. Um, having baskets or cartons full of everything from pink to green, blue, white, brown, every color of the rainbow. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, that's a reason to get into chicken keeping. You don't really get that same color variety with, um, with other birds. So like Mandy said, they can, they can supply you with eggs. You can break down and compost the, the manure for the garden. You can do meat birds. Um, you can get into chicken keeping just for breeding. There's, um, I apologize. I don't know the name of the farm, but there is an individual who in our time, it's not, it's not like from centuries ago to start creating your own chicken breeds and crosses. They're called moonbeam chickens and they have black skin and white feathers. They are stunning. Um, you can get into breeding projects if that's your thing. Also take an insect control. Let's go through the cons though, because this is this is where my um, uh, my hesitation with chickens lie. Roosters freak me out. I understand people have great roosters. Mandy has great roosters. In fact, we watch Hank on Instagram run <laughs> from his coop every single morning, and he doesn't come back until nighttime. And my kids die laughing at these videos. <laughs> they love it. They they obviously have personalities. They're funny. Um, chickens offer companionship, but roosters, we all have heard horror stories of aggressive roosters and they have those spurs. And so that's, that freaks me out. And if you don't have a rooster and you have hens, there's the possibility a hen can spawn spurs on their feet. You're just never going to have chickens. We, we just all, we all know that you're just not going to be one to, to have the chicken, but you are, you're right. I mean, you don't hear a lot about other breeds. Maybe when, when we dive down into turkeys and geese, we can kind of touch on, you know, a little bit of behavior there, um, specifically more with the male um, birds than, than the female. But yeah, roosters, um, they are... Uh, for a lack of better explanation, kind of like their whole, you know, whole separate breed. So they do tend, uh, you know, hen versus rooster. Roosters are the ones that are going to be a little bit more behavioral um, or that the one, you know, people will have issues with. So it is definitely something to take into consideration. Um, you do have to trim those spurs or most folks will trim the spurs. So, you know, that's another thing that you have to do um, on the homestead. Um, and you don't have to have roosters. Um, a lot of folks think that you have to have roosters to have eggs and that is not true. You do not have to have a rooster in your flock to get eggs. The hens will lay eggs with, with or without a rooster. Uh, the rooster will just fertilize them. If you would like to hatch your own or have a broody hen hatch, um, a clutch of eggs. Uh, you know, it is kind of like a nostalgic type of thing to hear rooster crow in the morning. So I think that's kind of a, you know, some people definitely are drawn to that um, or, you know, like kind of sought after just kind of like with the the very colorful egg basket. Um, yeah, roosters, roosters are something else sometimes. We, you know, I think it's probably noteworthy to say um, we one time did have a uh, um, unfriendly unkind rooster and he no longer lives here um because it is very hard to um you know go out and and do chores and be fearful of a you know tiny little thing um it's 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 terrible but i think that's kind of where your fear lies and a lot of people um they 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 can be a little bit hairy scary sometimes I think another thing worth bringing up, and we touched on this in a previous episode about gardening, chickens love to forage, which makes them excellent um, at tick control, which is honestly the reason I would consider getting chickens because we have a lot of ticks, but they love to forage in your garden. And while that in and itself can be destructive, tell us a little bit about 
the scratching because you always hear about how they scratch up the grass. You couldn't get it to grow. And that's why there's chicken tractors and moving them. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when we just maybe compare chickens versus ducks for the ease of conversation, um, chickens scratch. And when we say that they literally like paw at the ground, um, it's hard to describe without, you know, my hand motions, which you all can't see. But they're doing that to, to forage, to find the bugs, to find, you know, the little earth particles and things like that, that they need to digest their food. Um, but they will destroy an area of grass very quickly. Um, in regards to the garden, they, you know, we talked about fencing in an earlier episode um, that needs to be pretty dang tall. Otherwise, your chickens will fly over and they will scratch up your plants. This is natural behavior. It cannot be, you know, you, you can't teach against it. Um, that is just you know, the way of the chicken. And so, yeah, so chicken tractors are kind of the new thing because um, you can move uh, a small amount of birds around and there are so many different variations of, you know, DIY versus store-bought chicken tractors, but, uh, you will have a, you know, let's say five birds and a chicken tractor one day and you will go out at night and the grass will be completely, I've, you know, flat picked over, um, almost starting to die depending on the time of the year. Um, because they are just, that's what they do all day. They walk around and they scratch. Um, and so, you know, the idea, like you said, with the chicken tractors, you're constantly moving them around and then giving the grass that they, you know, ruin daily, uh, for a lack of better explanation, time to regrow. But that is um, kind of a con, I think, uh, you know, with chickens and, and roosters. So the rooster is a whole, a whole thing. And, and then, you know, the, the kind of destruction that chickens do, especially when we're free ranging. Um, they, they take dust baths where ducks do not take dust baths. And so they kind of like, will quote unquote, dig a hole in, in, you know, an area. Um, so if you want a nice lawn or, you know, if you dream of having a, a flock of birds, just kind of roaming around, uh, it should be, you should know and understand that, um, it won't look pretty forever. Uh, cause there's just no way to kind of regrow it when they're, they're constantly, you know, messing with the, the landscape. Do you clip wings to prevent flying? Yeah, so we do. And the idea there is you clip, it's not harmful for the bird at all. We could do maybe like a, a tutorial at some point in time, if anybody's interested, if we link up, you know, on social media, um, but you, you clip only one side of the flight feathers. Um, so there's no blood flow to them or anything like that. It's almost kind of like trimming a toenail is a kind of a good explanation. It's not the same keratin type of thing um, as, as, a, as a toenail actually is, but it makes them, you know, wobbly off, off kilter. So when they try to fly, they can't because they're, um, they're not balanced. So that's a, that's definitely something you can do if you're trying to contain birds. Um, even, you know, with a six foot fence, some are going to still be able to fly over that they, they fly. Um, and you can get into so many things. I think that we could do a whole episode about chickens. I know we're going to kind of move on, but you pick a heavier set bird that might not be able to fly a little bit better. So you could get into all of these breeds and, um, you know, how many eggs per year they lay or varied on the, the heaviness and all of those things. Um, but in regards to your specific question about, you know, scratching and lawn care and getting into your garden um, and with respect to what we were kind of talking about, heavier set birds um, who will still provide you with eggs. Some can be dual purpose, also egg and meat. Um, they're not going to be ones that are going to be as flighty and fly over as much. So I think one question that always comes up is about health and chickens, but I think we're going to save that towards the end of this episode. And we kind of do a quick comparison of maybe some of the conditions, um, diseases, or just little things to watch out for amongst all the different animals. We'll just do a quick comparison later on in the episode. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on to ducks. I'm really excited to talk about this topic because I'm a duck keeper, but also Mandy has the only breed of duck that I've never kept, which is Muscovies. <laughs> and it's just that I've never, I've just never gotten them. And they're a little bit different. Muscovies are the only domesticated breed that can fly and they roost when they sleep at night. So when we talk about these, these uh, duck keeping tips here, we're going to keep it to 
the majority of the domesticated breeds, we're going to leave out the Muscovies because they are kind of their own specific, they have their own specific needs. So why would you keep ducks? You'd keep them for eggs, which are big. Um, they're equal to about two, maybe even three chicken eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, people keep them for meat. Lots of folks love duck meat. Um, ducks tend to be pretty hardy. Those down feathers, they keep them seriously warm and dry. They repel water and oil. So in a place where you might have a harsh winter, mm-hmm. a Cayuga duck, which originated in Cayuga, New York, um, there's breeds that are good for a colder climate. Um, they're really good with slugs and snails. I use them as pest control in the garden. They're great in vineyards and orchards. Uh, and as Mandy said before, they don't scratch up garden spaces because they don't have the same footing. They don't have the claws and the nails. They have, or talons or whatever we call them for chickens, they have the webbing, they have the flat foot. Um, interesting fact about ducks, their manure is the only one that can be directly applied to your garden. Their manure output does not contain the same pathogens, and so it doesn't have to be broken down in a compost heap for a specific period. Is it six weeks for chickens? It's six months sometimes. Six months. So six is right. Some some folks will say three to six months. I mean, but yeah, it's a, it's a long time. You can't put it, it in front of them. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a that's a really good point. I think though it's also worth saying: Am I going to go clean my duck coop? put the manure on the garden and then harvest lettuce and bring it indoors and eat it. No, 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 no. You still have to practice good sanitation. That's just to say though, there's no waiting for that fertilizer to break down. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, cons, they're messy. Cons. Yeah. Gosh, they're messy. I mean, we keep a mixed flock and I can see, uh, I mean, the, the sheer differences is really just in like their, their feces, their stool output. It, it, it's a whole set. It's, it's wet. I mean, you know that. And it's, um, I mean, chicken manure is also wet, but it's just a whole nother, it's a whole nother level of kind of mess. <laughs> when you talk about, uh, waterfowl, I mean, obviously, you know, waterfowl, they like the water. So they are always in the water. They do not care if it is you know, 10 degrees outside. If you, if they have a thawed pool, if you, you know, let's say in the winter, if you keep a, you know, water warmer out there, they will get in it. Um, you know, so it's those types of things. Some folks, I think it's a little bit less desirable for ducks because in my opinion, and I mean, I experience it and you experience it too. When we did not have the Muscovies, um, the water was just cleaner. It was less maintenance. It's less for the human to have to do less chores. So they're, you know, they're constantly making the, you know, the water messy and things like that. And you brought up, um, well, we talked about the scratching with chickens and ducks. Yes, we let ours go in the garden. Same with the geese, because they will kind of stay out of the raised beds and they just stick to kind of the ground level and, and clean up all, you know, the bugs and things like that. Snails and slugs. They, if they find a puddle or a pool I think a con for a lot of folks in regards to kind of just like landscape destruction is they will I mean they they basically root and make huge holes in the ground totally um but again it's just their nature you cannot I mean it's just something that when we decide to keep these animals those are things that you really have zero control over um you're not going to be able to stop a duck from rooting um or swimming in any type of water at all you're not gonna be able to stop a chicken from scratching or flying over a fence um you know 100 percent of the time yeah it's just understanding what you're signing up for you it's kind of it comes back to any animal you know a rooster is going to crow you can't stop it from crowing a duck is going to want water or waterfowl uh you know these livestock guardian ducks they bark because that's what they do so it's just kind of understanding that you're not going to be able to correct a situation uh with an animal based on its natural behavior like just don't, just don't get into that scenario. Get something that works for your needs. And I think too, it's worth touching on before we go any further, check your zoning requirements with your city before you fall in love with um, a bird species and decide to go through all the work, money, time, and effort of setting up housing, getting a coupon run installed only to have your neighbors complain. And then you've got to give them up check your ordinances, see what kind of birds are allowed. Some people allow quail, but they don't allow chickens. 
and vice versa. Some people, some municipalities consider quail game birds where they would allow chickens, they won't allow quail. So you have to really familiarize yourself with what your city allows or a homeowner's association and how far away from your boundary lines your coop is allowed to be set up. So know those things before investing any time and money. Yeah. I want to circle back just a little bit before we go any further housing requirements for chickens and then ducks. So uh, with your chickens and spacing that you need about two to three square feet per bird. And um, you brought up the roosting with the Muscovies. Well, chickens, uh, they, they roost, they're roosting birds. And so, you know, your setup is going to look a little bit different. I don't think we're going to dive too much into the specific details there. Um, but chickens versus ducks, you know, for the sake of this conversation, chickens, roost chickens lay eggs in nesting boxes um and then ducks most of them besides the muscovies they're not roosting they're sleeping on the ground and they also don't you know hop up into a nesting box two or three feet off the ground and lay their eggs um and ducks like like chickens need like i said two to three square feet per bird um ducks need a little bit more because most of the time they're a little bit bigger so you want about four square feet per bird so just all you know angela brought up a good point about you know your your hoa or your municipalities and you have to kind of take into consideration then the size of your coop or or barn that you're going to be building or constructing and i think too with regard to housing requirements it goes for all of the species. They need access to food and water. Um, there are some chicken, duck, uh, turkey, whatever, bird keepers that um, get creative and find ways to contain duck water messes from, you know, playing in their water buckets, or maybe they don't bring food and water in the coop at night. And that's up to you if that's something you're comfortable doing. But um, you can play around with it. But for the for the most part, I mean, at least 12 hours a day, half the day, your birds are going to need to eat and or drink water in their coop space or their run. So that's something to consider. Um, what do you think? Should we move on to turkeys? Yeah. Turkeys are you fun. Have turkeys. Oh, we have one. We have a turkey. We have singular okay. turkey. Um, we did have a few um, other turkeys and our neighbors have turkeys. Gosh, they have a whole, a whole bunch. Um, they raise them for meat. Uh, and I think the, the best thing about a lot of these turkey breeds, I mean, I, I guess starting over, I mean, people raise turkeys for mostly meat, um, versus eggs because they are seasonal layers. They do not lay every, every month of the year, like most of our chickens and ducks. I mean, uh, with the egg laying with those two birds that we talked about, you know, they, they decrease when the daylight decreases, but turkeys are even even more. Um, so mostly in the spring, are you, you're going to get your eggs and, you know, uh, but gosh, turkeys are so friendly. Um, when you talk about, you know, you see all these videos of folks and like their turkeys will sit in their lap and you'll pet them. That truthfully is a lot. Of, I mean, that is a lot of truth. They are, they want to be up in your business and they want to show off for you and things like that. They have a really, really good disposition. So, um, you know, they, all the other great attributes too: fertilizer, fertilizer for your garden, pest control, all those types of things. Um, you know, they're a little bit larger. So when we talk about pros and cons, you know, they, they require more space. Um, since we were talking about space, you need about five square feet per bird. Um, and, um, they can be a little bit more intimidating, I would imagine to some folks. Um, but they are, they're a joy. They're a joy to watch and watch the forage and things like that. Um, when you talk also pros and cons of all of these species, turkeys are a little bit less hardy. We brought up how ducks are very hardy, even more hardy than chickens. I would say with the three that we've talked about, turkeys are going to be the low on the totem pole there. Um, and, and specifically when they're young poults, um, they're a little bit less hardy than, than what we, than what we see with, you know, the other, they're the poultry species. Um, and a lot of the, the main reason I think is what, or, or what you're going to hear a lot is about blackhead illness. And that comes with raising chickens and turkeys together, which is very, very common. 
um, unless you're, you know, specifically just raising turkeys, which most, most folks don't do. Um, that is where the young poults, um, fall ill. And it's just a specific disease that we're not going to necessarily go into the mechanics there, but, um, chickens are carriers and most of the time they're asymptomatic, but our turkeys fall ill. So that just kind of stands to their hardiness. A lot of people, if you do have a mixed flock, um, will raise the poults kind of separate and then integrate later in life. But yeah, gosh, um, turkeys are fun. I would definitely have more. Um, they are just, yeah, they're just a joy. Do they roost at night? Ours, yes, they do. Um, so our turkey is, his name is Turk because we are so creative. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, he will actually roost in the coop at, at when the weather is harsh, but we have, you know, big trees in the run area. He will get in a tree, like a low branch of a tree or on top of kind of like fence posts and things like that obviously they're going to be a little bit less susceptible to predators because of their size so you know a fox is probably going to be more apt to not not to say that they're not going to go after them but they're going to be less inclined to go after an animal their same size versus you know a duck or a chicken uh but yes they roost and like i said they will lay eggs in the springtime um they typically most breeds are very good mothers um they raise their young very well um, we can kind of see with chickens and ducks, sometimes it's a little bit scary and you got a, you got a bad one that doesn't want to raise their young, but most, most turkeys are pretty good about it. So, um, yeah. So they're seasonal egg layers. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. They are seasonal egg layers, much like our geese that we're going to talk about. Um, Yes. So they will start to, they lay like a clutch. They lay, they will lay more um, than uh, geese, I guess, who are also seasonal egg layers. But yeah, they're seasonal. They don't lay. Um, they definitely, you're not going to get as many eggs as, mm -hmm. as you would from a chicken and a duck. In a nest box? Or do they just go lay wherever? Uh, in a nest box, ours do, or they'll kind of like make a nest. But um, yeah, we have like a, well, we don't have a, a female anymore, but when we did, she would lay in like a, a big nest nest box that we made on the floor in the coop because other, I mean, otherwise, I mean, they're big birds, right? Our chicken mm -hmm. is designed for chickens. Um, and we've kind of, you know, we made some modifications with the ducks and the geese, but she couldn't fit in a nest box. So, it, but so she has her own, she had her own yeah. turkey yep. nest box. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I, I do like the idea of keeping turkeys. So I am learning along with everyone else listening here. I've never had them. I've also never had quail. Uh, Mandy, you've never had quail? Never had, never had quail. I know that they're becoming very popular, um, you know, for more suburban, urban type of situations, homesteaders, because they're so small. They lay eggs mm -hmm. very quickly. Um, you know, they obviously they don't require as much space. A lot of people are raising them now for um, not just eggs, but also for meat. Um, and it's kind of like a, in today's society and more of our instant gratification type of mindset, um, a lot, I think that that's why they're kind of sought after. Well, and because they are small, uh, well, maybe it doesn't have to necessarily do with their size, but just in general, quail, they're supposed to be ready from sort of start to harvest in like six to eight weeks. So it's yeah. a really quick turnaround for, for meat production is what I understand. Yeah. Um, but like Mandy said, they're, they're small, so they don't have to have these massive, coops or, or, you know, big living quarters. They are good in a small space. The thing I was reading about them that I thought was kind of interesting is that in proportion to their body size, they output more manure than any other bird. So maybe that's not a big deal if you have turkeys and whatever, and you're cleaning a coop anyway, and you're used to having to clean up. But it's funny to think that a quail could output just as much as your turkey. So what people recommend is to do a wire floor and then a tray below that that catches the droppings because otherwise it will build up too quickly and they will have unsanitary living conditions. So that's kind of interesting. Um, the other thing I learned about quail is that they're used to train hunting dogs because of their scent is so similar to like game. Like wild pheasant or game. something. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So did not know that. That's interesting. Uh, but yeah, small space, small bird, which means, um, you know, less food, 
And then in addition, they're supposed to be really quiet, which makes them good for an urban homestead. Again, don't jump on the gun to check your municipality, but that could be a good fit if you're not allowed to have chickens. Um, They're all supposed to be easy to process. Something about they don't need to be plucked. So I don't process. uh, I don't think Mandy's ever processed a quail unless Mm -hmm. you're on somebody else's farm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that is something worth looking into. Cons. Mm. Tiny birds are going to be able to fall prey to tiny predators. I guess it's not uncommon for quail to get eaten by rats, which is upsetting. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I never even thought about it, but they're about the same size. Yeah. Yeah. So that's some serious predator proofing for your cooper, your little home, if you're going to keep them. I mean, it's safe to say people do not you know, free range or anything like that. These types of birds are completely kept in, you know, a a coop run type of situation, but yeah, it would need to be completely predator proof. Um, so it's just different. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's different all around, you know, the housing, the setup, they require less space, quote unquote, per square foot. Um, but their space is kind of like a Taj Mahal versus, you know, something else that, you know, they don't chickens and ducks obviously need predator proofing, but not probably to this extent. True. You know, because they are so small, you can't keep them with chickens. You can't keep them with ducks or other birds because they would just get crushed. Yeah. Uh, so they really, point. yeah, they really do need their own specific space. The other thing is they fly. Um, and I guess they are prone to flying um, away, much like I've heard guineas do. We'll talk about those next. But it is harder that if you decide to keep them, you know, you let them free range, you allow them out to forage you're not necessarily going to get them back. So that is something to be aware of. Um, And I don't know if this is true. Maybe we'll have to do an episode on quail sometime and get a guess. But I read that there's a lot of pecking order drama. They are bullies and they are aggressive. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't. So one year, or I guess for for a couple of like off seasons, I helped kind of as like on a medical team at like a children's farm um, locally. And they have all types of animals. It's a great place, but that's the only real experience that I had with quail. And they would be kept in like these big dome things. And, um, uh, yeah, I, but I did not know that. Um, I didn't spend much time in there. I was still kind of getting over my bird fear at that time in my life. Fair, so, Fair yeah. enough. But I was reading that even if, so say one gets, um, severely pecked at in a pecking order, you know, argument, you take out the bird, you let it heal, you do all the things you're supposed to do. If I was reading that it's not uncommon for when you reintroduce that bird, they remember it and they go after it again. They're just huh. supposed to be ruthless. So, I mean, I don't know, again, we're, we don't have quail. We're not sure if that's true, but something to look up. Housing requirements, because they are small, only one square foot, roughly of space per bird. We talked about wire flooring is really great to sort of help with sanitation. Um, they do use nest boxes. Uh, like chickens, but unlike chickens, they don't roost. So some things to keep in mind. Now I am anxious to hear Mandy talk about guinea fowl because she Mm. has them, which I didn't know till today when I was watching your Instagram stories and I saw one random guinea and I was like, what is that doing there? So tell me about those. Um, Well, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. We have one random guinea. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of like a one random turkey we have one mm-hmm. random guinea um mm-hmm. however we did have um about two three three years ago probably i did have uh, i guess a, a flock of guineas a clutch i don't know i don't know what the technical term is we're gonna go with flock of guineas um okay. and like I said, they left they, they flew left in. they left they, they did so yeah i mean i did everything you know i raised them i raised them separately i was so excited you know most people uh kind of backing up get guineas for specifically tick control. Yes, they lay eggs, um, all those things, but they are incredible with consuming ticks. They will eat beetles. They, I have seen guineas kill little, you know, garden snakes. So they are, um, they're ruthless when it comes to that. Uh, you know, some people will get them if they live very rurally, um, in a very tick heavy region of the United States, they will get, you know, 20 guineas, raise them, and then they will just let them go. Um, and it really does help cut down on the tick population. So I think that's probably the main reason, um, guineas are sought after, but like you said with quail, yes, guineas, guineas leave. Um, ours would, it started that 
you know, I raised them. I kept them in the coop. I knew, you know, tried to say, Hey, this is where you come home at. I would feed and water them. And then, uh, you know, you gradually kind of let go of that control. Um, and they would start to roost in the trees at night. Um, and they would come back and then they got a little bit higher in the trees. Then they would go like out of the run area in a different tree. And then one day they just did not come home. Um, and so I did not have great luck there. I'd be interested to try it again. I mean, they certainly have their quirks and, and their cons um, <laughs> uh, that a lot of people do not care for. But for pest control, I mean, when we talk about, you know, a more natural way to go about it, guineas are incredible. I think I have guineas in my future. Yeah. I mean, you live in a region of the United States where it would probably be really good. I mean, a lot of us do, but you're, you know, Northeast tick tick country. So I, I mean, there are so many people who have had great success with it. I mean, I, I would, it didn't scare me. Nothing bad happened, you know, that I wouldn't try Mm -hmm. it again. Um, a lot of people say that they don't, that they're not as hardy and, and our one Guinea, um, he, he's kicking. I mean, he's, he lives with the chicken. And, um, yep, it's a, he doesn't even lay eggs or one, we don't even get eggs <laughs> an egg out of the one guinea that we have, but, um, you know, he's hilarious. Uh, and it, it, I, I think that it would be, I think it's a great option. Um, they mix well, they don't tend to have, you know, any type of issues. They can be a little bit more of like a bully, but if you have a flock, um, they, they will stick together. Um, so they're very clicky, um, but then don't tend to bother the other birds. If we talk about, um, raising mixed flocks, I think that the, the main reason or the second main reason, maybe the first, but you know, they leave, um, they're hard to contain, but they're just kind of like wild and free, but they are so mm-hmm. loud. Um, yeah. Uh, so when we, you know, your, your municipalities, you, I mean, I, you, you can't have a Guinea in the city or any type of urban environment. I would say it's, you know, roosters most of the time I would say are not allowed. Guineas are definitely not going to be allowed. I mean, our one Guinea will get on top of our roof of our home. Um, not the chicken coop home, like our home and, uh, scream for a lack of better word you know so they are they are very very loud but they're great in that regard for predator control they alert um they alert like a rooster would so you know some people might not want a rooster because they tend to be a little bit you know they they can be a little more aggressive like we talked about guineas are a little bit more kind of like elusive and they're not super friendly so while they're loud they're not really going to be in your business that's an option there for when you talk about kind of just predator and, and alerting mm-hmm. the whole flock, like protection. My impression is that guineas are going to be maintenance in the beginning. You feed and water them, you care for them. If they're in a coop, the theory is, I think, like two or three months to try to get them to learn home base. But it seems that more often than not, that doesn't really do much good. Because when you do decide to let them go and forage in free reign, free range, right? Because they're not going to be able to control ticks if they're not free ranging. Then they're loud. Yeah, but it's temporary because they're not going to be around necessarily for a long time. So it's almost an annual, like an annual crop in the sense that if you want to keep them indefinitely, there's a good chance you may be replenishing your stock every year. You know, the idea of them being able to do tick control and not scratch up a garden, not scratch up landscaping and yards. That's very, um, that's like an attractive option to me. I don't necessarily want chickens for the, the tick control problem that we have because they do scratch so much. So that is where guineas could be a better choice. And I have read that they are hard to overwinter simply because they go away. So you can't keep them by the time the season is over and we have more dark hours in a day, there's more predators, you know, for longer periods of time. Um, those numbers dwindle very, very quickly. So it's interesting. They do roost anywhere outdoors. You don't necessarily have to maintain them if they're not coming in, you know? Um, and I have read that foraging is their main source of nutrients. You can offer supplemental feed, but very interesting. 
It is true. A vast majority of their diet is just going to be bugs and things like that. But yeah, they're interesting. They look funny. Um, you know, if you raise guineas and, and keep them around more power to you, they have a long lifespan. So, um, you know, a little bit, you know, I would say probably average lifespan of our, you know, good old chicken is six to eight years max. Most of them, a lot of times aren't, you know, some are, aren't living that long, but uh, the way we raise them these days, a lot of them are, but guineas are almost double that. And, um, I'm reminded of that when I watch our one guinea just kind of run around and do, I'm like, Oh, we are going to be here for a very long time, but definitely an option. Um, they, like I said, they do lay eggs and, and things like that. And they're just comical. I mean, I think that it's worth noting that we do all of this and we talk about all the work that goes into it and, you know, choosing the right fit for you and your farm and your homestead. But if you're not getting joy out of it, uh, yeah. what's the point? Uh, and he's hilarious. So, um, but with that, I mean, gosh, I think that the pride and joy of all of our poultry, and I don't know you, I, I know you really love your ducks, but mm-hmm. geese, I mean, I have just fallen in love with raising geese and keeping them here. I think that they are an incredible bird, dual purpose, and, um, just such a joy. I think that, I don't know. Do you agree? I mean, I, I like the geese. Um, this is the first set of geese I've had that we haven't been quote unquote bullied by. We have Sebastopol's and the large dewlap Toulouse, same as Mandy. Um, same as a lot of homesteaders because those two breeds in particular are known for their disposition. They are calm. They tend to be quieter breeds. Um, they're not nasty. You know, I think we hear a lot of horror stories about people being chased off by geese from their grandmother's farm when they were five or something. You know, you hear, you hear those stories all the time and there are absolutely aggressive geese, which is why it's important to do your research. Your more aggressive breeds are going to be things like African, Chinese. We had a really hard time with Emden's. Um, don't let the horror stories turn you off from goose keeping because there are friendly geese out there. We promise you can keep them for eggs. You can keep them for meat. Um, obviously goose down, you know, if you're into feathers, collect the feathers after molting season, fill a pillow. Um, they're good for weed control. They have serrated beaks and tongues. They literally go around and they like, cut off the top of blades of grass and weeds. They're good at maintenance of lawns and pastures um, because of their down feathers, which with the exception of Sebastopol's, they're really hardy. Uh, you can give them just shelter from wind, something that's predator proof, of course, from things like coyote, if that's in your area, but they, they do fine in cold climates. Um, we got them initially to be guardians for our flock from things like hawks, Uh, you know, we've got a lot of birds of prey around here, ospreys, that sort of thing. So they do a great job at sounding their alarm at anything they think is unusual, whether it be people, predators, birds, and they kind of call to the other birds and and the ducks know something's up and they start watching the sky and they kind of find a place to go. Um, I don't process birds, but I hear their fat is really good for using different things. Yeah. I don't like cooking maybe. Yeah. I I mean, the, the way that their fat is rendered, I mean, it's kind of just a little bit even different with ducks. It's just kind of more of a, when you talk about meat, you know, this is going to sound, uh, a lot of folks will say that this sounds gross, but it's just a good way to describe it. It's more of like a greasy meat, but not in a way that you don't want to consume it. Um, it's more, you know, it's kind of like a delicacy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know all those things that you said about geese are so true. Um, and they are so hardy and they're so fun. And most folks, I think, at the, in, you know, in our right now, uh, you know, like the modern homestead world uh, are getting them for those things. You may, you know, maybe eggs and a little bit of entertainment and fun and maybe a little bit of a breeding or something like that. But mostly for predator, um, you know, they're keeping them with their chicken flock or they're keeping them with their ducks. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have any issues with any bullying or anything like that. I think that in general, you might have an outlier in all of these species that we've talked about. Um, but most often they're going to get along. There's pecking order with anything, just mm-hmm. like in humans, there's pecking order, um, for all these animals, but if they're, if they have enough space then they're good to go. Um, but you will watch geese 
look at the sky when you talk about aerial predators mm-hmm. and they will like tilt their heads and look at, and it's just incredible to see them. They're, they're, they're doing a job. Totally. Totally doing a job. Um, you know, because they are such good watchdogs, if you will, they can be very loud. So again, this is not a good fit for a neighborhood homestead. This would be something, you know, they just also need more space. They need to be able to forage in in a a larger yard setting. Um, So again, check in with the city, your zoning, whatever. But um, because they are larger, they require more space per bird. We're talking like six to eight feet square foot uh, in a housing situation. Because think of that wingspan. I mean, they're massive. These are big birds. Um, they are loud. Talked about aggression. Just make sure you get the right breed. Axonroothomestead.com is my website. I've got a free download, which goose is right for my farm. Answer a bunch of yes or no questions, and I'll help you figure out um, the proper goose breed for your situation. They are seasonal egg layers. Uh, we talked about turkeys laying in the spring. Geese really only lay um, late winter in the spring. So, I mean... I think it's Sebastopol's, they lay like 35 eggs a year. That's considered good. Like that's a high yeah. amount of eggs. So you're not going to be eating goose eggs year round unless you find like a preservation method that works for you. Um, what they are known for though, that is a problem. And some years more than others, they do get territorial during breeding season. And my simple answer for that is I have my duck hoop with a 24-7 attached run. I just put the ducks in the coop, close the door, and the geese get the attached outdoor run. It's partitioned off completely during mating season. They really do get territorial. They really do like their own space. Some years I said are worse than others, but it's an easy fix. And it's really only six to eight weeks that it's a problem. Um, Yeah. I mean, do you have issues with your geese and mating? Yeah, they definitely, you can see their demeanor change, but I think, I mean, circling back to all the things that, you know, just in the overhead umbrella that we talk about and going into this lifestyle, it's just knowing those things. And I, um, I'm a huge fan of just kind of respecting the individual animal, not just, not just bird, any animal that you're going to raise and knowing the specific differences and kind of just adapting to it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not abnormal. You should expect it and you should, you know, plan for it. Um, but yeah, they definitely, um, get a little bit territorial, you know, your, your chickens and your ducks and, and, Turkeys are a little bit, sometimes they'll be a little bit t- territorial of a clutch, um, but geese are pretty known for that, which, you know, circling back is kind of, I think a lot of the fear driven, you know, society about, you know, around raising geese. Um, but it is just kind of adapting and it's not for forever. And then, you know, they raise their young or, or don't, which, you know, whatever your setup or whatever your desire is and their, their demeanor will go back. But um, yeah, seasonal airs, you're going to have some kind of angry, angry birds in the early, you know, late winter, early spring. And, um, but it's, it's such a joy. They are, they're so fun. They're full of personality and um I think they're becoming widely, widely popular, a little bit more popular than, you know, in the, in the like quail kind of have been, you know, increasing in popularity. I think geese are as well. Um, but regardless, I mean, we've talked about six of like the main homestead poultry species that you can raise, you know, for many different reasons. Um, some all at the same time, uh, you can keep some together. We did say that quail have to be kept separately just because of their size, but a lot of these other birds are kept. We have the one guinea, the one turkey, um, but our geese, ducks and chicken flock, they, they live together. They have, you know, the setup is a little bit different for everybody, but they don't have to be completely separated. And I think that that it's just, it's just fun um, to, you know, pick and choose and figure out what works best for, for your family. Um, and we're always here to help. For sure. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we'll touch on maybe some potential health concerns sure. real quick and where to source. We do have, I think we'll maybe put the part about the egg comparison in the show notes. Obviously they all lay eggs, but we'll kind of talk about maybe different nutrient factors. Uh, Some are better source of protein, some are better source of iron, some are seasonal layers. So that will all be included 
in the show notes, along with the housing requirements, you know, the square footage that we went through per each species. So we have that information for you. Check out the, the podcast show notes. Um, so maybe now you've decided, okay, I, I know that I want guineas. I know I want chickens. Where do I get them? You can get them locally. You get them at a hatchery or you can hatch your own eggs. Want to talk about that real quick, Mandy? Yeah. So I think it's just worth noting, obviously, making sure that it's a reputable place. I mean, you want to start on a good foot um, or if you've already you know, established and you're going to bring in new birds, let's just make sure that they're you know, coming from a happy and a healthy place. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but um, so yeah, you can either, you know, in some places you can actually buy juveniles or some, you know, adult birds. If you don't want to start with, you know, the poults or the, the tiny keats, um, but you can source them. They can come in the mail, um, from hatcheries all across the United States. Mostly it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not necessarily seasonal per se, like only in the spring, but usually that's not so much in the winter, a, because egg numbers in a lot of these species are dwindling, um, or just down because of daylight, but you're not going to be shipping tiny little, you know, babes in when it's so cold outside, but um, or you can hatch. Um, and so they're all different. You know, you get, you, you, the end result is the same. Uh, when you, when you source from hatcheries, you can, you know, pay a little bit more, but you can choose, Hey, I want, you know, just hens. I don't want any roosters. Whereas if you are hatching, which is just a whole great experience. I mean, I don't care the age, what age you are. It is, it is so fun to be able to see something like that. So I encourage everybody to do it at some point in time with any of these, Yeah, you know, just it's, it's magic. It never gets old, but when you hatch your own uh, birds, you, you know, it's luck of the draw. You don't know what sex you're going to get. So, you know, for those that do have more regulations or, you know, Hey, even for us, we live, you know, very rurally. Um, I don't want, you know, 12 roosters in one. Yeah. So uh, pros and cons of, of both, but uh, many options and uh, it is very exciting. It's kind of a way to us to establish, you know, we talked about with chickens and even with specific duck breeds, we'll get, Hey, you know, goose breeds too. Um, some are not, you can't find them. You can't source them locally. Um, and mm-hmm. so mail order birds, um, is kind of the way to go. And that's also a way that you can bring in new breeds to your flock and, you know, do fun things like, you know, breeding experiments and stuff like that. Some, some local hatcheries or local, you know, co-ops are not going to, they're only going to have like the basic or the main, the main breeds that you're going to see most often. So, you know, some keywords and phrases you might hear is sexed or unsexed or straight run. Sexed, obviously, just meaning, you know, if you're getting males or females. Do be leery, though, of anybody who's guaranteeing like a day old set of chicks that are sexed. For some of them, it is incredibly difficult. And if you are guaranteed, it, speaking from experience for all of us, uh, you might be surprised. You may think yeah. you're getting females. You need to end up with really like, you know, supposed to be six females, one yeah. female. The it's rest hard. Roosters. It it's is hard. hard. So, yeah. and then straight run just means, Hey, you don't know what, what you're going to get. They're going to pick out six birds for you. Here's a straight run of chickens. Okay. But let's see what happens. You know? Yeah. So those are just some, that's, that's some of the terminology. Um, I do want to touch on health concerns real quick. I don't think we've mentioned before. Mandy has professional veterinary experience. <laughs> She's a pro literally. So she can help to sort of talk about some of the concerns or maybe myths that surround keeping some of these animals. I think regardless of what species you choose, you're going to be probably battling bumblefoot at some point. Yeah. And that's just part of the deal. Yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the the major things that we see specifically in waterfowl, but you can see it in chickens. I've actually never had it in our geese or our ducks, but I've had it in chickens. So it's just kind of like um, a wound on the bottom of the foot, I guess, for um, ease of, of this and not being able to see us in person and kind of bacteria gets into like a cut and it gets infected essentially. And that has to be cleaned out. And there are easy ways to do it. And this is not an episode about that. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of their general overall general health when we talk about keeping these you know all these species of birds across the board Angela mentioned it in the beginning of the episode 
you know, housing, water, food, those types of setups that goes without saying for any animal that you're going to raise on your homestead. Um, There are, you know, a little bit of, I guess, differences when we talk about poultry versus, you know, goats or horses or whatever, because they, they do spend a lot of time in their actual coop. That's where they go to sleep every single night. Um, And so it, it requires a little bit more upkeep um and and things like that there are so many different kinds of bedding that you can choose i think both of us agree you don't want to use hay you don't want to use straw those types of things are not going to be absorbent when it comes to you know the chickens are are dropping when they're roosting and the ducks are just you know kind of laying and and defecating honestly and it's very wet um you can run into a lot of a lot of problems a lot of ammonia buildup and and things like that in the winter when they spend more time and then in the summer, you know, bugs and it just becomes kind of just a giant mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, a lot of people will use kind of uh, like the, the cedar flakes or shavings or like pine pellets. What, what do you use for your dog? I use the pine pellets. Yeah. Yeah. So those, and a lot of those, you know, it's, they're used in like rabbit keeping and things like that. Some cat litter boxes because they are very absorbent. Um, they mm-hmm. kind of expand when they get wet and they trap that ammonia and they're easy. It's, you know, a little bit easier to clean and shovel out. So uh, you know, circling back, don't use hay or straw. I mean, some folks will kind of do straw. Um, if it's a really, really cold climate, I, I'm not saying don't do that. Just know that you're, you know, if you're, if you're bedding down with straw for like a really big snowstorm, that's great. Let's just remove that when the snowstorm is over and, you know, get it out of there because it is not absorbent. It's going to keep them warm, but it's not going to absorb anything, um, from, from their, you know, droppings to just them being wet when we talk about waterfowl. So it can lead to a lot of issues there across the board um i mean ventilation is a huge thing and it's a it's a hot topic a lot when you when you talk about you know people if they're building a coop or they're revamping their coop it is just key to be to keeping all of these birds you know healthy and happy and um their tiny little air sacs are just a little bit less, I don't want to say less hardy, but a little bit more intricate than, you know, when we breathe even for reference. And so they need to have ventilation. It doesn't need to be like, you know, huge windows wide open. We have, you know, bigger windows on one side of our coop and then on the direct opposite, you know, across, across from the windows, just, I don't know, a tiny little maybe one foot by six inch kind of like cut in the board um, just so, so airflow can kind of get through. They need to be up high. It's worth noting that you don't want them to be like down low, um, like a like a window or like a, you know, a crack for them to get out. That's not really considered um, like their coop door is not considered ventilation. They need that ventilation up high so that, you know, the drafts can go through. Um, it's okay to leave them open in the winter. You actually definitely want to leave them open in the winter, which I think is uh, for a lot of folks seems counterproductive, but that's when they are spending most of the time inside. That's when most of your, you know, respiratory issues, which most of these birds, that's what we see health wise them fall or, you know, they succumb to a lot of respiratory things. So if we can just do things that help them, you know, succeed or put them on a good foot forward, um, doesn't have to be fancy, but those, those two things are, you know, they're bedding and keeping them warm and dry in the winter, but also in the summer too, keeping their bedding fresh and, and, you know, bugs and things. And then ventilation are going to be the keys to having just happy, healthy birds. And, um, it, it doesn't take much. And like I said, just now it doesn't have to be fancy, Um, you don't have to clean your coop every week. Um, you know, if you have two or three birds for, you know, it, it, for just your family, it's a little bit easier. Um, but it's, it's just, it's just keeping up with the the general upkeep and it goes without saying, it's just kind of the, the, the right thing to do when you're raising any animal. I think it also just basically has a lot to do with what, species suits your situation, meaning your climate. If you have a really wet area that you will be keeping these birds in, like a wetland, a waterfowl might be a better choice than 
something that shouldn't be wet all the time, like a chicken. And that's going to go a long way in making sure that the birds are naturally uh, happy and healthy in the space that you're keeping them in. You know, we hear a lot about frostbite in chickens and trying to keep them sort of, you, you know, you can, there's tricks. I understand. I don't have chickens, but you can do like Vaseline or something like that on their waddles, on their combs in order to keep um, frostbite at bay. Maybe if frostbite is a major concern, you just know that you're going to keep your chickens indoors on those super icy days and, and out of the wet. For ducks, that's not as much of a concern, right? Because they tend to be hardier. They go out every single day of the year. The coop door is always open during the day and they are out in it to win it. They're swimming. Um, they have a unique circulatory exchange system in their legs that allows them to do that. So just knowing your climate and what lengths you're willing to go to to make sure that your birds are living their best life. It's all about working smarter, not harder. We will definitely do a more specific episode on, um, you know, like chicken health and duck health later on. We'll talk the nitty gritty of some of those diseases, maybe respiratory issues, vaccination myths, do's and don'ts, that sort of thing. That's a that's another podcast episode. But all across the board, you, roughly speaking, you're going to tend to see issues that are a result of poor housing, sanitation, not enough food and water, clean water. Um, you want to make sure to know that bumblefoot's something you're probably going to run into. It's not a big deal. And frostbite and weather element exposure. Those are usually where the sources of any health issues rise and injury, but we'll do a triage episode later. That's a lot of information. Do you yeah. agree? A lot of information, but, um, I mean, a lot to digest, but it, it was good. It's good to kind of just even for us refresh and, and know, you know, the differences and the options, um, mm -hmm. and the excitement surrounding all of this, because it, it is becoming widely popular. And like you said, in the very beginning, I think it is certainly the kind of the gateway to animal keeping when it comes to homesteading is kind of where most people are going to start. Um, you know, you can kind of still travel and do things like that. If you have some birds versus, you know, so there are a lot of pros and kind of just diving, you know, dipping your toes in the water versus, you know, diving in the deep end um, and kind of figuring out what, what works best, but lots of information. Um, we are so happy that you hung with us. And uh, if you have any questions, you know where to find us. We are always here. Like Angela said, we will put in the, the show notes kind of the A comparison and the housing requirements so that you can have that for your information keeping. And we hope that you all have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.